The only time I remember seeing the Milky Way, I was 16. My family had rented a cabin in Canada on Manitoulin Island in the middle of Lake Huron. I spent the days swimming and reading and performing various feats of strength alongside my friend Bob, both of us hoping to catch the eye of the only girl our age there. Most evenings we played cards or dominoes with my grandma. She and Bob kind of locked in a struggle for supremacy, me always a distant third. And then one night that girl's family invited us to their campfire. We made s'mores, told stories, and compared life in this, their native country with life in ours across the border. And then the discussion somehow led the Canadian dad to suggest that each family sing its national anthem, which remarkably we agreed to do, and which even more remarkably I found really moving. When the stars became visible overhead, the girl came over to our side of the circle and taught Bob and I how to find Cassiopeia, the constellation that makes a, a W in the sky. Back on Earth, the group settled into that hypnotic quiet of humans around a fire, no longer feeling the need to entertain each other, just growing still together like old friends. And finally, when the last logs had burned low and people made for their cottages, I looked back up at the sky and I stopped, suddenly confused about what I was seeing. There where an hour before we had picked out just a few faint points of light and connected the dots, there was now a huge cloud of shimmering light so many stars, they had become indistinguishable from one another. And then I recognized that telltale kind of swirl in the cloud and I realized what I was seeing, our galaxy. I hadn't known that was even possible to see it without a telescope. I thought the Milky Way was something that existed like in science textbooks. Someone had doused the fire and we were all standing in total blackout, staring up at the immensity above us, so big and so beautiful and so almost terrifying to be reminded of our position in it all. Two families on this little island, on the edge of a lake, on the edge of a world, on the edge of a galaxy, somewhere in this ever expanding universe. It could have been chilling, but Somehow it felt like the perfect end to that sweet night, a reminder of our closeness, of our connection in the face of all that. That in a universe so vast, we had spent an evening huddled around a fire just with each other. It was a long time, years into adulthood until I realized that what I'd seen that night was not actually an anomaly that in fact, it's what most people have seen most nights for the entirety of human history. In my mind, seeing the Milky Way was like just the magic of being in Canada. Ted, you, you know what I mean? Some trick of latitude like the Northern Lights. It, it never occurred to me that if it weren't for light pollution, this would have been the view outside my house in Indiana. 
And I also didn't know until just this week that my experience of it, that sense of, of connection and well-being that staring up at the stars gave me was something researchers have studied, that it has a name. It was awe, not just in the casual sense, but scientifically speaking. I came across the science of awe in this book, The Human Cosmos by Joe Marchand. And it tells the story of humanity's relationship with the stars from the Neolithic period until now. And people in the book group, when you look and see how many pages it is, you'll know that I haven't made it to the end. But a big part of that relationship is awe. So much so that, that one of the ways that scientists induce a sense of awe in their experiments is by showing people a picture of the cosmos. That simple act of looking at the stars or even just pictures of the stars for a few minutes has profound effects on us. People become more curious, more creative, happier, nicer, and more generous. It reduces their stress. It increases the body's anti-inflammatory response. And it changes how they see themselves. During one experiment, participants who experienced awe later signed their names smaller than the control group. They drew themselves smaller without any diminishment of self-worth. They just didn't feel as big or self-important in the face of something so vast. Reading that this week, I couldn't help but hear the words of Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. It's an experiment in awe performed more than 2,000 years ago. The subject looks up and their mindset is changed completely. Maybe the writer of Psalm 8 had been working on a song of war or a song of lament. Maybe they were going to call down God's judgment on their enemies, but then something in the sky gets their attention. Leaving the bright circle of a fire, saying goodnight to their neighbors, stumbling back towards bed, and they look up, and there it is. The moon and the stars, the work of God's fingers. And that's all it takes. A new song is born. A song that's less self-centered, less entitled, more attuned to our common humanity. The exact same way scientists find their subjects do today when they draw people's attention away from their personal concerns and towards something greater. It snaps them out of a selfish, narrow mindset and makes them more cooperative, collaborative, community-minded, just showing them the stars. In our own time, 80% of Americans can't see the Milky Way from their homes. So it's no surprise that scientists fear we've become awe-deprived. 
Two of them lamented in the New York Times that adults spend more and more time working and less time outdoors and with other people. Camping trips, picnics, and midnight skies are foregone in favor of working weekends and late at night. It's a terrible, and for me, a familiar cycle. The narrower people's focus, the less likely they are to take time for awe. I'll own it. The narrower my focus, the less likely I am to take time for awe. And the less I experience that vastness, the narrower my focus gets. The more selfish and alone I become, everything else begins to disappear until I can no longer see the enormity of the universe I inhabit. That awe-inspiring work of God's fingers, which is the antidote to human misery. Researchers, of course, blame cell phones like we do for everything and other modern technology. But, and I know from my own life that that's true. But just like the experience of awe has ancient roots, so does that tendency to get locked in tunnel vision. At least that's, that's how I read that scripture from Amos that Jen shared. The God who sends Amos to the people is angry. They've trampled the poor, they've taken bribes, they've pushed aside the needy, they've gotten selfish. And in the middle of this proclamation of God's judgment, Amos offers them the antidote. Look up. Draw your attention to the stars. He says, I'm here on behalf of the one who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into morning and darkens the day into night. Amos is saying, snap out of it. Remember, there is something bigger than you, something overwhelmingly vast that you're part of. Let me show you how to connect the dots. Imagine the hands that could make these pictures. Take your eyes off your own small life for a moment and see how much there is. Stargaze for even a few minutes, he tells them. That will be enough to see that what you're doing is evil. That those you're oppressing are human beings just like you. That the, the small advantages you're seeking are utterly meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Look up. It will make you happier and healthier and kinder and less alone. It's just that easy. God established it that way just for you, a system of order and beauty to call you back into right relationship with everything around you. You and I might not have it quite that easy. We can't go outside and see the Milky Way. But scientists say it's still not that difficult. Experiences of awe are surprisingly easy to create. Take people to a stand of tall trees and have them look up for a minute and then show them someone dropping some pens on the sidewalk next to them and they will pick up more pens than the group staring at the building across the way. Play people beautiful music. Show them inspiring art. Let them witness someone performing some incredible feat or just let them witness someone doing something incredibly kind. And, and there it is. 
in statistically significant amounts. No matter how distant humanity has grown from the natural world, how much it gets in its own way of accessing awe, blotting out that evidence of its smallness, the possibility is still all around us. The antidote is there, the work of God's fingers, that impulse towards something bigger and more beautiful is available everywhere. The system still works. In that same New York Times article, the awe scientists go on what seems like kind of a tangent about the evolution of goosebumps. In other mammals, they say goosebumps are a sign of danger. They come out when an animal is facing a threat. But for us, they can also be a sign of awe. As they say in the article, awe is this positive feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends our understanding of the world. It's not so hard to see how we made that jump as a species. That could certainly leave you afraid, make you feel in danger, being in the presence of something vast that you don't understand, feeling tiny beside it. It could be terrifying to imagine all of that as the work of some creator's hands. But for some reason, it mostly isn't. Somewhere along the evolutionary line, we branched off and started to find that experience beneficial and even pleasurable. To be reminded of just how small we are became enjoyable. Thinking about my own experience, it's not hard to imagine why that might be. Maybe because the more we felt that feeling, the closer to the fire it drew us. The more we were reminded of our smallness, the more we found excuses to linger together, telling stories and singing songs into the night. The more we looked up and got overwhelmed, the tighter knit we brought ourselves, the stronger we loved one another. When the danger of being so small, looking up at a sky so vast, finally hit home. When we considered the heavens and imagined the fingers that could make them, when our hairs stood on end and a chill ran down our backs, it sent us looking for the antidote in each other's arms. And we found that it was beneficial and even pleasurable. And it felt like maybe this was the way the whole system was supposed to work all along. <laughs>